The increasing pollution of aquatic and terrestrial environments by plastics has fueled discussions on the potential of using biodegradable instead of conventional non-biodegradable plastics in packaging to mitigate this pollution problem. In this episode of Packaging Talks, Professor Ramani Narayan provides a masterclass on biodegradability of polymers and specifies the parameters which need to be looked into while making this material choice. Join this episode for a rigorous discussion on plastics and its biodegradability. Hello everyone and welcome to Packaging Talks, podcast series brought to you by the Packaging 360 team. Today our guest is Dr. Ramani Narayan, University Distinguished Professor at Michigan State University in the Department of Chemical Engineering and Material Science. He is a Fellow of the National Academy of Inventors and Fellow of ASTM International. He has over 200 refereed publications in leading journals, 32 issued patents, and has supervised 20, 22 PhD and 23 master's students. He has commercialized several biodegradable compostable technologies. He's very active in standards development at ASTM and ISO-based, ISO for bio-based and biodegradable compostable plastics. He's also a technical advisor to the Biodegradable Products Institute, BPI, USDA Biopreferred Program, and EU certification groups. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Narayan. Thank you, Ranga Prasad. Professor Narayan, nobody knows biodegradable and biocompostable materials than you do in your four decades of extensive study on these materials. To kickstart the conversation, let me begin by asking you, are biodegradable polymers still a myth or now a commercial reality? And just to carry on further, are these polymers capable of mitigating the plastic waste problem that we encounter, we are facing the world over? So it's a great uh, start-off question, Ranga Prasad. Uh, the term biodegradability is a much-used term, but poorly understood. And there are many misperceptions as well as uh, misleading claims, which seem to dominate the marketplace. So let's unravel this terminology. Most people, stakeholders, view biodegradability as simply breaking down or fragmenting the polymer chain uh, due to a combination of what we call abiotic, that is sunlight, oxidative, hydrolytic, and biological, which is enzymatic. But this is where the problem arises. Simply breakdown is in itself not sufficient validation that this polymer molecule is being removed from the environment. But if you're looking at it from an environmental perspective, then removal from the environment is a critical requirement, not simply biodegradation. And this is where some of the issues come up. So biodegradability needs to be tied to removal from the environment, which means that not only the polymers break down into small fragments, into small pieces, whether it's biological or non-biological, but you need to validate that the microbes present in the disposal environment utilize, assimilate this polymer carbon, this plastic carbon for its life processes, for its food, for its fuel. And this can happen only and only if these fragments can be transported inside the cell. So whatever removal, biodegradation is happening has to happen inside the cell. So removal from the environment requires proving that microorganisms are utilizing the plastic carbon and 
basic biology teaches us that microbes do it through a well-established complex uh, biochemical pathways, which we won't go into in detail, but that gives energy for its life process. And the net output of that is CO2. So carbon of the plastic carbon is converted or metabolized to CO2. And this needs to happen completely to ensure complete removal from the environment. This is very basic concept which every one of your listeners must understand that in order for biodegradability to be a value attribute from an environmental perspective, A, it must break down and that can happen abiotically or biotically, but more importantly, it must be transported inside the cell and then undergo metabolization, which endpoint is CO2. So the percent carbon utilized by the microbe as measured by the evolved CO2 is really a measure of percent biodegradation. And it's pretty straightforward. And I, I hope that your audiences and your uh, listeners will understand that. The second part of your question was, are these polymers capable of mitigating the plastic waste problem? There are no magical solutions for plastic waste solutions or end of life of plastics. Biodegradability in concert with a managed disposal system like composting and many of you worldwide understand this uh, process called composting and we'll talk about that later but biodegradability integrated to a managed disposal system like composting offers a responsible and environmentally responsible approach to handle plastics which are associated with food paper and simple disposable products, thin films, which are not easy to recover for recycling. So that's where the biodegradable, compostable plastics has a role to play in terms of mitigating plastic waste problems. And it has to be very specific, but completeness is an important uh, criteria. So I would leave it at that. And as, we, and as you have more questions, we can delve deeper into this. And that's a great start of the conversation, Professor. Uh, <clears throat> Professor, we recognize there are so many standards and test protocols for establishing biodegradability, rate of biodegradation of uh, polymers. How does one go about selecting the appropriate standard or the method? And uh, it would be nice if you could illustrate that with an example, which will be of uh, uh, great uh, help to both academicians as well as uh, our listeners from the uh, plastics industry or the packaging industry who would like to get their materials certified. So there's a lot of confusion in uh, among in the minds of these people. So if you could uh, illustrate with an example, that would be very nice. Okay, so that's a another good lead-off question. Let's start first with saying that biodegradability needs to be tied in with a managed end-of-life system, disposal system like composting. And then question you're asking is, what are the standards to validate this? And there are specification standards, and I'm going to state some numbers, but your listeners can easily go back and look at it. Specification standards for compostable plastics. That means plastics which are designed for managed end-of-life like composting. And the standards are in ASTM, it is D6400, D6868. In the European Union, EN13432, these are 
probably uh, numbers which a lot of your listeners may even be familiar with. And these are what we call specification standards. That means it provides a pass-fail criteria. That pass-fail criteria is that 90% plus of the polymer carbon must be utilized by microbes as measured by the evolved CO2. This is what we call percent biodegradability as we explained earlier. So this is the primary end of life and this is what is the test method which is recommended. Now, there are claims of uh, biodegradability in soil, soil biodegradability. This is very, very special for agricultural mulch fillings or agricultural products. In India, as well as in worldwide, we use mulch film to enhance the productivity of agriculture. Those mulch films today are polyethylene based. Polyethylene, as you know, is a carbon-carbon backbone polymer and not very readily biodegradable. They are persistent. They accumulate in the environment. Therefore, it has to be removed, but they're still uh, fragments which go into soil. So a biodegradable mulch film may be of value. And so there is a test standard, specification standard. It is a EN, European Norm 17033. And there are test methods. How do you measure it? So typically, a specification standard sets the pass-fail criteria. Test methods teach you how to run your test and how to report on it. Now, there are other biodegradability tests. For example, uh, biodegradability in under anaerobic conditions or biodegradability in ocean or biodegradability in uh, some other environments, natural environments. So here's where I think your listeners have to be very careful. The natural environments, whether it is soil or whether it is the oceans or whether it is simply dumped overboard or a landfill, these environments are not your disposal system. So the Ellen MacArthur Foundation teaches us that leakage, and it's a very nice word, I like this word, leakage, into the natural environments is not acceptable. But there will still always be leakage. We know that better than anybody else. And so if there is leakage into the natural environment, we need to find out, correct, what is the amount of leakage and will these products, when it leaks into the environment, whether it is ocean, land, how long will they remain? Will it take five years, 10 years? And what is the fate? What is the impact of that leakage into the environment? So there is a whole series of biodegradability tests um, under ASTM ISO norms, which talks about testing under aquatic conditions, testing under uh, land litter type conditions. You will get the percent biodegradation. You could calculate the rate and therefore you can calculate time for removal or how long will it stay there? How long will it persist in the environment? So that's why you see so many of these test methods. And when ASTM and ISO started working on these standards, we were not very clear as to what is the ultimate requirement, right? We don't know, okay, why are we doing it? Are there any magical, I make it biodegradable, I can throw it anywhere and use it. And we are now learning that's not correct. 
that we need to do it the right way, that composting is a managed disposal system, but we do recognize that there will be leakage. And so you have test methods to evaluate persistent of your material in the natural environments. And hopefully it is designed so that it's not going to be as long or as um, complete as say uh, some of the other polymer materials. So that's kind of a quick um, descriptor on standards. I would say your listeners should focus on the managed industrial composting standards, which uh, is developing and therefore validate that their polymer plastic will be utilized by microbes as is typically present in compost and that they are removed from the environment. And this offers a way in which plastics associated with food, paper, and similar biodegradable waste products uh, can be safely and efficaciously removed from the environment. So you did talk about application of various standards and uh, the options that are available to assess biodegradation under various uh, disposal conditions. How do you really interpret laboratory results and how accurate are the or how reliable are these laboratory data for uh, real-time interpretation? Are there any studies available to establish uh, degradation under laboratory conditions uh, being close to what is actually seen in uh, real-life conditions? So let's start with the composting standard, right? Today, Specification standard 6400-6868-ISO-17055-EN1432. And you may wonder why are there so many standards, but they are typically pretty much the same except for some few minor uh, differences in terms of uh, regulated metal content based on the geography of the region. So, but uh, otherwise they are uh, almost identical. So that's one aspect of that. Now, the, the tests, are done by approved labs. And, and here is where I think it is important to look to certification organizations. So today in Europe, uh, if you want a compostable certification, you go to TUV Austria or DINCERTCO. In the US, it is BPI. And India, the government, right, through CIPET, which uh, test these products on the ISO standards to say, yes, it is compostable uh, and meets the specification standards. So that seems to work well. And maybe <laughs> your question is probing the issue about all these claims of biodegradability, which is being touted based on some lab tests. And, and here in, and this requires some, un, um, interpretation, but unraveling of what to our understanding of biodegradability. If you do a test and the test lab shows you 30% biodegradation, let's assume, and then it plateaus off. Is it biodegradable? Yes. Is it biodegradability sufficient and useful from an environmental perspective? The answer has got to be no, because it's still persistent. It's only gone to 30%, right? So there are no certification for products which are say leaked into the soil or leaked into the oceans. There are no certifications yet, and that can't be because that is not considered an acceptable disposal environment. Composting, anaerobic, anaerobic digestion coupled to composting is. So my caution to 
your listeners is when you do a test using any of the standards, ASTM 5511 and some of these tests talk about biodegradability in a landfill or talk about uh, accelerated biodegradation. They give you a number, a result, percent biodegradability. But be careful as to how you interpret and use that because you need to be very sure that all of the carbon has been removed, not 10 or 30 or 40 percent. And therein lies some of the issues and problems and claims uh, in this space where additives are added, say, to carbon-carbon polymers. You've seen a lot of references to this. Um, and the or oxidative additives or enzymatic additives do break the polymer down. There may be some biodegradation, but it's never complete. And so the the space, this whole industry is moving to completeness, complete removal and not partial uh, removal from the environment. So uh, I think with the this is a little bit of a more complicated area, but if you stick to the uh, certification part of it, and you stick to composting, which is an industrial composting, which is managed end of life, then you would be safe. And uh, and in other cases, you will have to really think seriously as to what value attribute or what value proposition you bring by having 25% biodegradable or 30% or 40%, whatever the value may be, because that means there is still a significant amount of your plastic carbon which remains in the environment and therefore negatively impact the environment. All the problems we are talking about today in terms of uh, plastic pollution will still be there. Professor, I know that uh, another topic that is very close to your heart is you know trying to weigh the pros and cons of recycling versus composting in today's context. Uh, you would have seen that many of the brands are... Uh, quite open to the use of uh, more and more recycled content and some brands have even gone to the extent of using 100% post-consumer recyclates into uh, the packaging which has been reintroduced into the market. And there are also new uh, concepts like paper bottle and the use of uh, bio, so-called biodegradable materials like polylactic acid, PEF, PHA, etc. So what is your assessment or what are your thoughts on uh, balancing re uh, recycling and composting in today's context? A great question. And you pointed it out correctly that this is my, I profess on this quite a bit <laughs> because it is not a question of is recycling better or is making, let me take that back, is recycling of plastics a better end of life option or making plastics compostable going into a composting system? A better end of life option and the answer is it's easy to say it depends and let's clear the uh, where one is better or more uh, usable than the other so i want to take you back a little 50 percent of the municipal solid waste in any country in the world is organic biodegradable waste paper food waste yard waste green waste these come comprise almost 50% plus of the municipal solid waste stream. Today, these uh, biodegradable organic wastes are sent to a managed entombed landfill in the developed part of the world. 
and in the emerging economies of the world, India, China, that part, uh, many of them are in open dumps, mismanaged a lot, and they are close to the coastal region. In either case, because the environment is anaerobic, much of this readily biodegradable organic carbon is converted to methane, which, as many of your listeners may already know, is a potent greenhouse gas. It is about 25x global warming potential impact. So this 50% plus organic waste stream is present in MSW should be diverted to managed systems like composting to reduce the volume and to prepare a stable soil amendment product. So remember, we talked about composting. What is composting? Composting is a managed process and that it is taking biodegradable organic wastes and transforming them into a stable soil amendment product and reducing volume by 70%, right? So that's composting. And so food and paper and other things cannot simply be dumped over or cannot be sent to a landfill, but they need to be managed. And composting is the environmentally viable, responsible approach to do. All right. I'm not talking plastics at all here. However, that thin film plastics and those plastic products associated with food, with paper, and finding itself in this kind of a stream would lend itself to composting. And that's what you would make compostable. Think for a minute, if you take that thin plastic film, how do you plan to recover it from the contaminated food waste stream? And then you have to clean it. And then you, you must have enough volume to send it somewhere to recycle. So recycling is economically and technically not, not processable, not, cannot be done as easily. If at all, it can be done. So that's where composting and compostable plastics come into place. But if you have a pet bottle or you have a high-density polyethylene milk container or really collectible plastic products, then it doesn't make sense to compost it. You would collect it. You would uh, depolymerize it back to the original monomer and repolymerize it to your product or uh, upcycle it to some other product and you can practice uh, recycling. So both recycling and composting are valuable end-of-life processes to really manage plastic waste. And to me, it's a very heartening to point to the listeners that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Global Pact has clearly stated that innovate materials and many companies say by 2025, 2040, they're going to implement this, brands and other major companies, that they intend to reduce or uh, the amount of plastics used, where that means eliminate where it is not necessary, recycle where recycling is makes sense, and compost. You hear the word compost. You don't hear the word biodegradable there. You hear the word compost because we want to tie in the property of biodegradability with the managed end-of-life disposal of industrial composting. So that's where you see that. And even the U.S. 
has got a similar uh, plastic packed spearheaded by the WWF uh, with the same notion, reduce, recycle, and compost. So I, I hope that that would uh, move the needle forward for plastics and the plastics industry and the packaging industry by carefully selecting where does your product end up in? What's the most it's associated with? If it is associated with paper, you talked about a paper bottle. I mean, it makes no sense that you have a paper bottle which has got now a polyethylene liner, which is not biodegradable and persistent. And then you have a metallized coating on it and making a product which is neither recyclable nor compostable. So if you want to innovate, if you want to make change on your packaging product design, either you make it recyclable, but ask yourself, is this product easy to recover from the waste stream and recycle? Does it have value in that? Or should you make it compostable? And making sure when we say compostable, we are saying complete biodegradability in the compost environment as validated by uh, international standards and certified because I think that's the most important uh, part. So thank you, Professor Narayan, for this uh, exclusive conversation uh, where you have clarified and also taken a deep dive into some of the misconceptions and really uh, shattered some of the myths or misconceptions that uh, most of us had. It was truly enlightening. I'm sure our listeners would also benefit from a very scientific understanding that you have developed over years and years of research and deep diving into the subject. So on behalf of Packaging 360 team and also our listeners, we would like to thank you for sharing your thoughts and thank you for being our guest on Packaging Thoughts. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ranga Prasad. And if I may, I would like to add just one additional thought process for your listeners to consider. And this has got to do with the fact that in the across the world there are still products which claim that the addition of additives whether they are oxo additives or whether they are enzymes to existing carbon carbon backbone polymers like polyethylene polypropylene polystyrene makes the entire product uh, biodegradable in a landfill in oceans in number of places and very aggressive claims to that. And I would caution you and ask that you verify the data and everything. But I want to leave you with this thought. If carbon-carbon backbone polymers like polyethylene and polypropylene, polystyrene, are so easy to break down, as has been proposed by the addition of 1% additive, you can break the polymer down to small molecules. These molecules go inside the cell and bind. If that is truly happening, then why is it that for recycling polyethylenes or polypropylenes to break that carbon-carbon bond, we need specialty catalysts, but more importantly, temperatures of 400 degrees Celsius plus to break that carbon-carbon bond, to pyrolyze it, to thermally crack it. And that products are a mixture of gases, liquids, as well as uh, tar and residue. So if if this additive can magically break carbon-carbon bonds so easily, we should be using it in recycling. And the fact that 
that is not and doesn't seem to do it should be a question for your listeners to pose. So thank you again for that extra add-on to your uh, questions. Thank you, Professor Narayan. Uh, I wish we could go on and on. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> when the lockdown ends, we'll have a chance to come to your class and uh, really get educated because this is an unending uh, subject and I'm sure uh, our listeners would have enjoyed. It would have given some insights into the kind of work that you have done, the thought process, and hopefully uh, it will be of immense use to our listeners. Thank you once again for your time. Thank you for joining Packaging Talks powered by Packaging 360. Stay tuned for another interesting episode next week.